the good bus passengers of Croydon have been getting wet and, and blown about with no bus shelters since um, since March 2021. Welcome to Calling All Stations, the transport podcast. I'm Christian Walmart, an author and journalist who has specialised in transport for the past 30 years. In every episode, we aim to keep you up to date with the most engaging news stories, policy developments and interviews across the world of transport. And with me is my co-presenter, Mark Walker, who has spent decades studying policy developments in transport. So, Mark, no shortage of things happening in the transport world, I gather? Indeed, Christian. And uh, hello to you and hello to our listeners. This week, we're going to have a bit of a change of direction because, of course, several of our recent episodes have been revolving around the issue of HS2. We had a fantastic site visit to two of the uh, construction locations for the project. Uh, But also, of course, uh, we couldn't possibly have known presciently that uh, the uh, HS2 would feature so uh, significantly in the news with the cancellation by the government of the sections north of Birmingham and also the publication of the alternative use of the funds uh, in the Network North document that we featured so much in our previous episode. So this week marks a bit of a change of direction. It's an HS2 free episode. And first of all, I thought our listeners might be interested to hear a selection of stories from around the country featuring uh, transport aspects, um, which we've uh, gathered together from the transportinfo.org.uk website, where we at Cogit Armors Limited uh, bring together every day transport stories uh, of interest and note from the nations and regions of the UK. So here's a little package I recorded earlier with some of those stories. New civil engineer reports that Devon County Council has rubber stamped a transport capital program for rail and road projects worth £154 million. The Transport Capital Programme is described as an ambitious series of travel projects in various stages across Devon to improve transport and respond to the climate emergency the Council declared in 2019. It is supported by over £130 million in grants from UK government programmes. A large portion of the funds from the Transport Capital Programme will be going into the A361 North Devon Link Road improvements. It involves the widening of 7.7 kilometres of single carriageway between Portmore Roundabout near Barnstable and Fillet Cutting, which is situated north of South Moulton. It also includes four junction improvements, as well as upgrades to bridges and underpasses. Six million pounds from the Devon County Council's Transport Capital Programme will go to payments needed for the construction of the £16 million Marsh Barton Rail Station, which was completed in the summer by contractors Graham. A small portion of this will also go towards connecting the Devon Metro from Beer Austin to Plymouth via Tavistock. The article refers to plans regarding the £36 billion to be saved from scrapping HS2 north of Birmingham. 
which is supposed to include the provision of building a railway line between Colompton and Wellington. Devon County Council Cabinet Member for Climate Change, Environment and Transport, Andrea Davis said, this extensive and ambitious programme sets out our short-term priority for investment in transport infrastructure across Devon. It is a key part in our strategic plan objectives to make Devon the best place to live and work and will invest in transport infrastructure that responds to the climate emergency, supports sustainable economic recovery, improves health and well-being and helps communities to be safe, connected and resilient. Wales Online reports that Transport for Wales has revealed how five new railway stations on the South Wales main line could look. A public consultation has been launched encouraging people to give their say on the designs for stations proposed at a cost of up to £300 million. It is hoped the stations will boost transport links between Wales and England and offer some relief to the traffic on the M4 around Newport. People are being asked about their design of the station but also the kind of facilities that people would like to see at each. There are also proposals for new services between Cardiff, Bristol and Cheltenham Spa that could result in four trains per hour and increased frequencies at existing local stations on the route. The proposals are key recommendations of the South East Wales Transport Commission, delivered as part of the South Wales Mainline Programme which aims to greatly improve how people access and travel on the railway. Drop-in events have been organised where people can share their views. The consultation runs until January the 14th on the Transport for Wales website. The Telegraph and Argus reports that a £100 million transformation of Leeds Bradford Airport is to begin imminently. The airport has announced that the investment will be used to regenerate its terminal facilities and dramatically improve passenger experience with work set to start this autumn. The project, approved by Leeds City Council, is expected to be completed in 2026. Phase 1 will see the construction of the airport's terminal extension. This will be a three-storey 9,500 square foot building that will be added to the existing terminal. The regeneration also includes a significant refurbishment of the current airport building with the creation of additional aircraft stands, more seating, faster security and new shops and eateries. There will also be a larger baggage reclaim area and immigration hall as well as improved access for passengers with restricted mobility. Data from York Aviation Analysis shows the regeneration has the potential to create 1,500 new direct jobs at the airport and 4,000 indirect jobs, as well as contribute a total of £950 million to the local economy by 2030. The regeneration will also help the airport to further decarbonise its operations as outlined in the airport's 2030 net zero carbon roadmap. The Guardian reports that London bus operator Arriva has been bought by a US private equity firm. The London red bus operator Arriva has been snapped up by US infrastructure investor I-squared 
in a deal believed to be worth about £1.4 billion. Arriva was put up for sale in 2019 by its German owner Deutsche Bahn. The value of the deal suggests Deutsche Bahn, which has been described as being in a state of permanent crisis by Germany's National Audit Office, made a loss on the sale. The transaction is expected to be completed next year. Arriva, which is headquartered in Sunderland and employs more than 34,000 people, operates bus and rail services across 10 European countries, including the UK, where it is one of the largest train operators and runs a 4,700 strong fleet of buses across the country, including some of London's double-deckers. It operates the London Overground Rail Network, as well as Chiltern Railways and the Cross Country franchise, and has more than 18,800 staff in the UK. A spokesperson for I Squared, which is headquartered in Miami, told The Guardian, the US private equity firm had committed 2 billion euros to expand and electrify Arriva's fleet after its takeover, with a significant portion of those funds expected to be spent on its UK operations. And finally, the Herald reports that when Glasgow's new £29.5 million bridge opens in spring next year, those using it to cross the River Clyde will be recreating the walk of Strathclyde royalty from their Partick estate to Govan. The new Govan Partick Bridge towers over an area that, for at least 2,000 years, had a huge importance as a location where it was possible to ford the Clyde. Significantly, it will re-establish a link between two well-known Glasgow neighbourhoods in Govan and Partick that were spatially, socially and economically interconnected for centuries. The hope is that when the cable-stayed opening swing bridge opens next year, it will help restore the importance to a River Clyde that has ceased to be associated with the economic and social heart of life in Glasgow, despite having a unique place in the history and development of the city. Connecting Water Row in Govan and Point House Quay in Partick, the bridge will form a key part of the active travel route between the University of Glasgow's campus at Gilmore Hill and Queen Elizabeth University Hospital. That's the end of this week's Transport News in Brief, but if you're looking for transport news every day, do visit transportinfo.org.uk. Christian, you have a selection of non-HS2 stories as well for our listeners. Uh, yes, I've kept away from HS2 as well, and i um, got three uh, things I want to talk about. First of all, there's uh, the... Uh, Transport Committee in the Commons uh, was discussing that uh, air traffic control outage of August the 28th, and I uh, got some enlightenment there. Um, and second, I want to talk about the strange story of uh, the bridge that was infilled by the highways agency at great expense, and then they had to dig it out again uh, uh, in the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, a bridge called Musgrave Bridge in, in Cumbria. Very strange story. And then uh, another 
odd story that I've uh, uh, interviewed uh, the excellent Steve Downs from inside Croydon about uh, Croydon's disappearing bus shelters. So let's start with the uh, uh, Transport Select Committee. I must say, uh, it was uh, very strange to discover that uh, the air traffic control system across the country could simply uh, just disappear, as it were, off the computer screens, completely have a complete outage. And so rightly, the Transport Select Committee has been uh, looking into this and interviewed the uh, chief executive. And I'm afraid that I wish I could say that I came out of this enlightened, but Mark, um, I'm afraid um, they didn't quite have the answers. So tell us more. Wait, was it was it the Russians? Was it uh, a, a tech conspiracy? Um, well, it probably definitely was not the Russians. I had I had thought at the time that it was the Russians, but no, it was this entry of a, a, a dodgy flight plan into the system. Um, so apparently, according to the chief executive, they they put this thing to the computer. And the computer said no, basically. The computer said, no, this is uh, wrongly kind of uh, set up, this flight plan. Didn't say, they didn't say where it was from. And uh, therefore, this needs a human intervention. And that's what was explained to us. But then what wasn't explained was, okay, so it needed a human intervention. Uh, why wasn't there just uh, somebody checking it out, rejecting it, and then uh, kind of starting all over again. But instead, Humanly intervening, you might say. Why wasn't Humanly that? intervening would have been kind of a good idea. But instead, um, what they said was, well, we immediately had to cut back on the number of flights. Um, and uh, they didn't explain, despite questioning, why then the backup system failed, which is apparently on the same computer, which is not a good idea. You should have a whole different computer for the backup system. Um, and I must say, uh, uh, Michael O'Leary, uh, the very stroppy kind of leader of uh, Ryanair, I think for once I was 100% on his side because he was saying to uh, the guy from uh, Nats, well, uh, you know, we pay you £100 million a year for your services um, and, uh, you know, you ought to be responsible for this and you ought to compensate all our passengers, um, which, of course, Nats has, has not done. They've paid a small amount over, but nothing like what uh, the Ryanair and the other airlines have had to pay for in terms of uh, lost flights and, and compensating passengers and whatever. But we never got, we never quite got to the bottom of it. So they presented this false data from this flight plan to the computer. And then they said, you, you need human intervention. But then uh, it, they did not explain why the whole system collapsed. And of course, as you know, Mark, the trouble with uh, these hearings is that these guys who are hearing it and, and women are hearing it are politicians. They're not uh, journalists. And so they, they, I'm always kind of listening to this thing, saying, right, now ask this. Oh, you know, this is the next question. And of course, they never ask it. So we, so do you think that's the, the conclusion and, and we won't really hear any more on this story? Well, there, there is only an interim report out about this, which kind of explains this. And there is supposed to be a fuller report 
uh, into uh, what happened. But I must say, Nats, which is you know partially privatized and, and uh, you know has shareholders and and pays its uh, shareholders very happy dividends, really should be much more uh, in in the dock over this. And and uh, the the MPs made the point that well, else elsewhere, you know, did this sort of thing happen? And the, the airlines who kind of appeared before said. Well, no, we think that you know this is fairly unique uh, that other systems across Europe don't collapse in this way. And of course, then Nat said, "Well, actually, um, you know, there are other similar collapses." So we didn't even get to the bottom of that. So it was rather frustrating, uh, but at least uh, we now know it wasn't the Russians. So talking of collapsing brings us to our next story. Uh, because National Highways of England has been rather concerned about the possibility of a different kind of collapse, hasn't it, Christian? And you've been investigating this story. This is a very strange story, Mark, because uh, about a year ago, the National Highways, which used to be Highways England and and Highways Agency before that and so on, but now called National Highways, um, decided to fill in uh, a bridge uh, according to its policy, uh, that it was looking at old railway bridges across the country, of which it has about a thousand which go under or over railways. And uh, it decided that this bridge uh, in Cumbria, the structure a place called Great Musgrave uh, in the Eden Valley, uh, was unsafe and couldn't take heavy loads and therefore needed to be filled in. And what's more, it needed to be filled in straight away a matter of urgency because there was a danger that it that uh, it would collapse um and it did this uh, amazingly unsightly infilling which uh, uh the campaigners against it managed to get a picture of this and it looked at it, i featured it in in my column in rail magazine at the time and and basically it, it looked like they dumped kind of uh you know 1600 tons of concrete underneath this bridge and kind of just left it there um in fact, they did kind of landscape it a bit later, but but the damage had been done. But they never so, quite so explained so, why. Sorry, Christian, just so our, yeah. our listeners can visualise this. Yeah. So essentially, it's a sort of arched bridge of a Victorian era, presumably over um, a former taking a road over a former railway line. Is that the, the, the absolutely absolutely? And it's a, a little typical stone bridge that there must be you know tens of thousands of these around the country. A lot of them railways still still use and and they there's a path underneath which actually local campaigners want to use as a reopened uh, railway line eventually and certainly uh, the local council wants to use it as a um and so they actually and so they actually filled the arch with concrete that was what absolutely they did. yeah and, okay. and in a in a completely unsightly way it was just just absolutely hideous and they never quite explained why it was an emergency because uh, independent people who said, well, the bridge isn't actually in danger of collapsing and so on. And uh, there's no problem. And they, they didn't even consult the local uh, council. So uh, um, when, when the local council got wind of this and, and said, why didn't you consult? They said, oh, we did it under emergency uh, legislation. But um, it turned out that when when they properly investigated, the council investigated this, there, there was actually no reason to do this in an emergency way. And uh, this uh, campaign, the local campaigners kind of got very active with it. It's got the picture of this bridge uh, into the national media and stuff. 
and uh, the national highways was forced then, which they've just done, to uh, dig out all this uh, uh, concrete, 1,600 tonnes of concrete, and uh, uh, reinstate the bridge, right? And what's more, this is not there. This is part of a wider campaign to infill bridges across the country. There had at least there was at one point a list of about fifty, and that got down to about twenty. But in in many of these cases, there really seems to be no argument to 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 do this in filling, and it's sort of almost you think why are they creating work for themselves? National highways have got lots of other things to do, lots of other ways to spend its money. Yeah, we um, hear a lot about so, potholes, for example, don't we? I could but, do a lot like, more about potholes, <laughs> as uh, the government is very keen on. So um, so National Highways then reluctantly kind of dug, dug out uh, all this concrete. Uh, the whole thing has cost about uh, half a million pounds, which could be well spent doing something else. But even a few weeks ago, the, the National Highways were still saying, well, we had to do this. It was an emergency and so on. But actually, when they've reinstated this bridge, they haven't even reinforced it. They've, they've just left the bridge as it was before with no extra work or, or, or anything kind of uh, needed, needed uh, to, to, uh, uh, to do this. And you know, much of this is down to local campaigners. Indeed, a, a campaigner called Graham Bickerdyke, uh, who's a member of something he created called the HRE Group, who have now kind of uh, looked at other bridges across the country and have kind of local, you know, raised up local campaigners in all sorts of uh, places to stop this infilling. But, I mean, there's two things that kind of surprise me about this. One, why did they feel necessary, as I've said, to to create uh, uh, all this extra work when it was necessary? But second, why were they in such a rush to do these things um, when, you know, these were not real emergencies? You know, they were, okay, there might have been problems with some of these bridges, but you know, they can patch them up or whatever. These bridges have been there for 150 years or 200 years in some cases. So it's a, it, it, it's a it's a very strange story of the state, as it were, overreaching itself and then having to be reined back thanks to local campaigners and, and angry local authorities. Uh, I, I, I do, I still bemused to know why uh, National Highways embarked on this programme in the first case. And I'm sure if National Highways wanted to come onto the podcast, we'd be delighted to welcome them on to discuss this issue. Uh, absolutely. I, in, in in writing about this, I have contacted a few times and they give you these very bland statements about, oh, yes, it was necessary. Oh, we had to do this. Um, and uh, it's only lately they uh, have actually rather uh, apologised and said, uh, well, um, yes, you know, we might have... Uh, uh, done this uh, uh, wrongly and uh, we're very sorry about it but uh, it is a very strange story the third of our stories uh, that uh, I've um, kind of been covering uh, this week um, is another very odd story about uh, how uh, Croydon lost all its bus shelters with the promise that they were going to get brand new ones and for the last two or three years uh, the good people of Croydon have had to stand in the rain instead of underneath bus shelters. And here's my report into that. Many councils are seeking ways of bringing in the private sector to support various activities. And Croydon recently uh, signed a contract to get bus shelters. Uh, And uh, apparently it's all gone pear-shaped and the council has lost money and... uh, 
there doesn't seem to be any bus shelters. So joining me is Steve Downs, who uh, runs an excellent investigative uh, website uh, called uh, Inside Croydon and is on top of the story. So, Steve, tell me about this um, effort to get free bus shelters, which haven't turned out very well. Hello, Christian. Thanks for, for having me on, on board. Um, I mean, this story goes back three years now. And uh, we we first noticed it with one of our great investigative journalism skills in that when we saw people going around the, the, the borough uprooting bus shelters and not replacing them or anything, we started thinking, well, what's going on here then? Um, and it didn't take long before we got hold of some council papers. Um, and it turned out that someone at the council decided it was a really good idea to build smart bus shelters, not any common or garden, you know, usual bus shelters that provide you with a seat and somewhere out of the rain. Oh God, so tell bus. me, what is a smart bus shelter? Well, well, the, these provide free Wi-Fi. Uh, they scrape the internet uh, locally for any information. They, they record air quality and noise uh, pollution. And they also give you the times of the next, you know, the next number 68 that's coming along on, on, on the high street. Right. That's, so far, so good. And But nothing, nothing that uh, it represents reinventing the wheel at all. And the problem was, that in order to provide this particular contract, um, someone at the council managed to come up with a deal with an American company that, that had set up a British uh, subsidiary just six months earlier. And the American company had uh, no track record in terms of providing any bus shelters. It had never sold a single roadside ad. And you know, in terms of digital connectivity, um, it had no track record. And a little bit of due diligence done by us on this company, which is called Velo Smart Cities Limited, found that the, the guy that had founded it, a, guy, a character called Isaac Sutton, has a track record for getting in trouble with the American authorities that goes back to 1995. What but sort of trouble? Oh, uh, with the Securities and Exchange Commission for setting up companies, um, boosting their, their share prices by issuing press releases that made completely false and inflated claims. Now, we managed to do this about bit of due diligence back in May 2021 in about 10 minutes flat, because all of the materials out there on the, on the internet it's taken Croydon Council three years to get round to cancelling a contract that was too good to be true when they first signed it. Uh, Sutton so was what, what would the contract have done? What, what did they sign the contract for? Well, the con uh, they would they removed all of their existing all of, on on the road network in in, in London. People may not realise this, but there were actually two different degrees of bus shelters. There were some that were operated on the main roads by TfL. And those still remain in Croydon, thank goodness. But a lot of the other roads, um, bus shelters are often put up by the local authority. Normally, with uh, a company like JC Deco, you know, who who have been doing this sort of business for 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 you know, from the year dot, and do it very well, very quietly. You know, no no great like, issues. Um, and, and they get their advertising display. And presumably yeah. the council get a free bus shelter. Is that is that the range? The, the council gets a free bus shelter and a little bit of a take on on the advertising right. that Deco sells. But Deco have been doing this for years. They know what they're doing. It's not you know it's not huge profits, but it's a nice tidy little earner uh, for the council. 
um, Valo Smart Cities were offering offering Croydon Council something like six hundred and seventy thousand pounds a year plus profits if if they were given uh, the monopoly of, of bus shelter, council bus shelters in Croydon. Um, yeah, it just looks too good to be true from the very start. But no one at Croydon Council seemed capable of, of working that this out. Um, the whole thing was kept quite secret from councillors. They weren't told until six weeks until Deco moved in to start removing their old bus shelters. And since when, the good bus passengers of Croydon have been getting wet and, and blown about with no bus shelters since um, since March 2021. Um, and it's only last week after we ran our latest story because we found that uh, Isaac Sutton was actually going to pull out the deal because he knew he couldn't deliver on it, um, that Jason Perry, the borough's uh, executive mayor, has announced that he's now going to cancel the contract that he's had with uh, Velo Smart City, which they failed to uh, adhere to and, 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 and provide any bus shelters with. Did, did the council pay them any money? No, there's there's not been any money gone out from the council for this deal, um, but they've lost three years worth of income that they would have got otherwise from from JC Deco if they'd managed to continue their arrangement with them. And uh, Velo Smart City said that a signing on fee of half a million pounds was going to be paid. That money has never been never been paid, and we discovered from sources that had worked for Velo Smart City. Um, that as recently as August, um, the council, in, in its attempts to try and get some bus shelters back on the streets of Croydon, had gone to Velo Smart City and said, look, we won't sue you if you pay us half a million pounds. And Velo Smart City agreed to that, and, Croydon, and the num numpties at Croydon Council believed them. And of course, having signed a document saying we're not going to sue you anymore, um, Velo Smart City never came forward with, with, with a half a million pounds because they haven't got half a million pounds. They've got they've got debts of, of about a million pounds that they've run up with various suppliers around around the place uh, to try and put together a deal, and and you know they haven't been paying them them their bills either. So, um, what do you think the the wider lesson from this is? Like, uh, look, gift horses in the mouth, perhaps. Uh, or, I mean, do you think there is a Obviously, lots of councils might have been tempted to go into this sort of deal. Yeah, but you know, as, as as I said before, if it looks too good to be true, it very probably is. Um, the Croydon Council is bankrupt for for several good reasons, and one of the reasons is that its procurement, the off the council officers that have been doing procurement for the last ten years or so, have been thunderingly useless. And this is this is this is one of the highlight highlighted examples of how quite how useless they have been. Um, so are, are Croydon bus passengers ever going to get shelters back? What have the well, council said about this? As recently as last month, as recently as September, Mayor Perry was at a public meeting in Norbury, and he was asked about the the, the vanishing bus shelters. And then he was telling everyone that he wasn't going to be suing Velo Smart City and he wasn't going to be cancelling the contract because it could take 18 months to go through the procurement process to find somebody else to supply bus shelters. So I guess as we are now in October 2023, it might be the spring of 2025 before we start seeing bus shelters popping up again somewhere around the streets of Croydon. Oh, well, thank you very much for that, uh, Steve. I mean, that is a real salutary lesson to uh, 
local authorities not to kind of go into uh, these sort of uh, deals without uh, a, a lot of due diligence. And uh, uh, let's hope that's a warning to them. Thank, thanks a lot for telling us the story of the disappearing bus shelters in Croydon. Been a pleasure to be on, on your programme, Christian. Thank you very much. Here's Christian's final thought from the Departure Lounge. Well, I think what <laughs> all these disparate stories uh, bring together is the fact that, you know, transport uh, is full of kind of mishaps and uh, errors and bad policies. And the problem is, as I is a theme of what of this podcast in a way, is that Transport has never had a proper kind of overall strategy. You know, what do we need from our transport system? It's always full of these kind of disputes between people who are pushing for cars, people who are pushing for public transport, people who want uh, more cycling and walking or whatever. But there's no kind of overall structure to, you know, how do we see the transport system in, say, five or ten years' time? And I do hope uh, that uh, the... Uh, next government, which, um, uh, as you may know, I hope to, is a Labour government, will actually give some thought to that and uh, actually think about kind of all the various aspects of, of transport and try and bring about a more coherent approach. Calling All Stations, the transport podcast with Christian Walmart is produced by Cogitamus Limited, a leading provider of public affairs consultancy services in the sector. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, please consider giving us a five-star rating with whichever platform you use. Do also follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. Our handle is at AllStationsPod.